0: Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God.
1: Yes, ma'am. Did the gibberish writings, did any of them sync up? Were they the same, or was it this person's gibberish and this person's
2: gibberish? Yeah, it was everybody's individual gibberish. Okay. Yeah.
1: But they thought it was an actual language.
2: Yes.
3: But that, they just thought that because they thought that. Like Correct. There wasn't any, like they didn't have linguists in there at all.
2: No, it sounded kind of Russian, so I mean, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> as actually happening. Um, Well that would depend on which person, which belief system you're coming from. Mm-hmm. and the, the, the theology has evolved from that point mm-hmm. inside of Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism today would divide um, glossalia, which is the Greek term for tongues into two categories. We're gonna get into this, but I'll just tell you, they would divide it into a known language and then what they would refer to as a prayer language or a secret language that is between the speaker and God. And there are passages they would reference that they would assert, confirm that there's such a thing as a a prayer language. Well, and just think. I'm sorry. No, go ahead.
1: I'm thinking back to times where I went to church with my uncle and my aunt, and I do think that they know their Bible very well. They're both ordained. Mm Well,
2: she is also ordained as a pastor. That's a different discussion. But (laughs) um, I can only deal with one controversy at a time. (laughs) Go ahead. No, I'm (laughs) kidding you.
1: Mm-hmm. And even in times of, like, praying over me,
2: mm-hmm. and me just feeling really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm.
1: But I don't... And me feeling like I'm loved out of this super club. I don't understand what's happening. But also, it seems like in those situations, they almost wanted to um, promote falling out, like try to make it happen as, like... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And then also thinking about... Um, other idea of that they had and I don't know if you're going to this is another topic but praying in the gap for someone which is what led them to speak in tongues mm-hmm. and, and all these different things
2: yeah so that's part of the theology around prayer language is the notion that the Holy Spirit will know a prayer request that we don't really know and be able to pray for the person much more effectively than we can if we use our human language mm-hmm. so uh, did you like Intercessory prayer. yeah uh, uh-huh.
0: Mm-hmm. Just to comment, I assume somewhere in there, we're going to frame this in terms of the original Pentecost, but also we need to frame it in terms of Paul's message to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And what he goes through, his descriptions
3: mm-hmm. of things, including
0: mm-hmm. the gifts. Yep. And I think it's important because uh, it will help clarify, and hopefully, you know, get rid of some of the, oh!
2: Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely absolutely well one thing i will say and uh, uh um before we get into oh do you have a question right yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, i've been in the presence of uh speaking in tongues two different occasions and both of them were yeah there was a blip blibberish coming out mm-hmm but there was also an interpreter mm. of, of a, somebody, uh, it, was, it required to be authentic, it had to be two different people, one
4: with the actual mm-hmm. saying
0: in, in tongues and mm-hmm. the other one would be able to interpret in a common language.
2: Yes, got it, I agree understand so one thing I want to say to us that's an encouragement to all of us no matter where we're gonna fall on this issue is that God is not gonna fit in a box that we're gonna like and that the power of the Almighty is going to in many ways be a mystery to us and If we're only going to adopt theological systems that will allow us to be comfortable, we're probably going to end up on the wrong side of some issue along the way. So we don't want to make our decisions about this doctrine based on what makes us comfortable. We want to make our decisions on this doctrine based on what Scripture and the church have declared as true once and for all. That would be my admonishment to me anyway, to all of us. Okay. So let's talk about, there's basically, and I could give more nuanced, but there are basically five major views on spirit baptism. There's what I'm just gonna call the traditional or the ancient view. The view that existed for I don't know 1600 plus years then there's the reformed view then there became the Wesleyan view then the Pentecostal view and then the charismatic view now I'm going to again we're going to go through all five of these and I'm going to explain what they believed and the scriptures that they would use to support what they believed and I'm going to be just I'm gonna try to be each one of them like when I'm doing the Pentecostal view I'm gonna try to be Pentecostal to be as fair to the Pentecostal view as possible Or when I'm doing the reform view the same does everybody understand what I'm saying so I don't want anybody to get mad at me when you're one of the other four and I'm that guy for a minute okay cuz I'm just trying to be fair to all four views everybody with me on that I don't need you to write a letter to the church like I thought this was what the church believed and we got this crazy person up there teaching some other doctrine okay when we get to the end I'm gonna help us try to figure out what do we do with it okay so this is overly simplified but I created this little table to talk through some big picture stuff Um, and again we're gonna go into each of these in a lot of detail Now what I call the traditional view is the most difficult for us to understand as Protestants because we don't think of salvation the way the church originally thought of salvation. We think of salvation as a point in time. We ask people, are you saved? If you had asked Ignatius, are you saved, he would have no idea what you're talking about. They would say, this is an ancient phrase, I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. That's what the ancient church said. So if you try to correspond the Holy Spirit to some salvation point, you can't for the first 1,600 years because they didn't understand that. You're in Christ or you're not in Christ. That was was the bigger picture. And we'll get into that. I'm going to go through that one last. So the evidence of spirit baptism, by the way, the, the, the Holy Spirit would begin to be involved in the life of the believer at water baptism. Because water baptism, again, has, we get into these things. Is, is baptism necessary for salvation? Can you be saved without baptism? Why do we get into that? Because we think of it as a point in time. They didn't understand any of that stuff. But water baptism was the point at which someone was in the body of Christ and so that's when they would say the holy spirit became involved in the life of the believer doctrinally speaking now that evidence was you would be a transformed person you would start to look like a christian you'd bear the fruit of the spirit you would start to be you would be different than you were yesterday and the status of the gifts of the spirit would have been active they would have not would have not made any sense to them to talk about whether the gifts had ceased or whether the gifts had continued. It didn't really occur to them to worry about that sort of thing. Now, the Reformed view was that spirit baptism corresponds with faith so this is the notion of justification by faith we are as protestants this is where we start to get real comfortable because we're used to this notion of i am justified by faith alone sola fide sola fide as the reformers said so i trust in christ and at the moment i trust in christ i am sealed with the holy spirit we'll look at all these passages And so the evidence that I'm spirit baptized is simply that I have a profession of faith because it's not possible to be a Christian and not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The one goes with the other. And then uh, reformed believers today have a very mixed view of the status of the gifts. Some Reformed believers today believe that the gifts are still completely active. Some Reformed believers are what are known as cessationists. Now, cessationism even has its own little slices. But essentially, the the traditional view of cessationism is this word means you believe that the miraculous gifts ceased after the apostolic age. So when the apostles died so did the miraculous gifts cease. And the miraculous gifts would be the ones like healing and tongues. Things that look like an instant miracle taking place. Like I touch you and you're healed, that ceased with the apostles. I can speak a known language, that ceased with the apostles. That's what a traditional cessationist would believe. So that would be different. They're not saying that all the gifts of the spirit cease. Like when you read the lists in places like Romans and Corinthians and other places, all of them didn't cease, just the miraculous gifts. And there's even some debate amongst them of what gifts classify as miraculous versus don't classify as miraculous. But all cessationists would agree that tongues and healing count as miraculous gifts. Yes, sir?
3: So that person, a cessationist, wouldn't argue that God doesn't heal people. He would just say that Scott is not an apostle who can heal people.
2: Correct. I don't have a special, I can't receive a special spiritual gift of healing where I walk up and can say you're healed. That's correct. Very well said. Okay, then the Wesleyan view uh, was from named after John Wesley. And John Wesley's whole theology really is about trying to swing the pendulum back a little bit from this towards this so he's like the ancient church had it right and then the roman church started to have all this error and so martin luther's responding to a bunch of that error so i'm going to try to swing the pendulum back a little bit where we keep the best of both worlds if you will and i'm not don't i'm just trying to be fair to what a wesleyan would say so a wesleyan would say yes it corresponds with faith but you would know it because you're sanctified. Because Wesleyanism is very concerned with what is known as holiness. In fact, there's a group of Wesleyans that are called Holiness Wesleyans or the Holiness Movement. And so his thing was, this is about do you look like a Christian or not? That's how you know. Um, and they, Wesleyan Wesleyanism, uh, would have said that all the gifts are active. Um, in fact, you know, um, what's... Really interesting is, Wesley had a ton um, of, I don't know, pneumatology in his teaching and in his theology, but it was so pervasive it's hard to actually go pull it out because he doesn't teach just on the Holy Spirit. He has two writings in his entire catalog that are specifically about the Holy Spirit by itself because he just saw it woven into this idea of being a Christian. Um, And if you're familiar with Methodism... You know which was the domination that was now offspring of his teaching the cross is has the flame behind it because they believe that the Holy Spirit was the empowering device for the sanctification of the believer okay then Pentecostal this is where you get this idea that it's subsequent to faith after you pray to receive it and the evidence is that you speak in tongues universally without exception and active then charismaticism is an evolution of Pentecostalism that still believes that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is subsequent to faith but it's not necessarily evidenced by speaking in tongues it could be evidenced by some other miraculous gift it just happens to be that most people get tongues and then all of the gifts are active Okay. That's just a very high-level view of how those things play out. And we'll get, we're going to get into why they think what they think. Again, uh, over the court it'll probably take us a couple weeks to get through all these. Any questions about any of this? I didn't
1: understand the mixed view
2: the active and sensation. Okay. Yeah. So so some reformed believers today would say that all the gifts are still active. And some reformed believers would take the position that the miraculous gifts have ceased, that they were specifically for the era of the apostles. So, you know, when Paul was preaching, when Peter was preaching, when John was preaching, living on earth, God was doing something unique in history through them that allowed them to touch someone and they'd be healed, or to speak in a language that wasn't uh, uh, their own language, but then when they died, that God was done working in that way, and so those gifts ceased.
1: Is that so some people think uh, they are active, and some other is not both at the Correct. And it looks like most people believe they're active,
2: mm-hmm. and the cessationists would be correct. Now, somebody, by the way, yes, ma'am. Oh, I just had a question. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, y'all had asked me, what is the official position of Frisco Bible? Frisco Bible's official position, and I'm quoting Pastor Wayne, is loosely cessationist. (laughs) And he told me an interesting anecdote, just so you know. He said when he was in seminary, he had to sign off on a belief statement in order to be in seminary. And the belief statement said um, there is strong biblical evidence for the cessation of the miraculous gifts. And he wouldn't sign it. And he made him, he, they brought him before like a committee. And he said, I can't sign this because I don't think there is strong biblical evidence. I think there's strong historical evidence. And after he had a discussion with them, they ended up agreeing with him and allowing him to sign the statement without agreeing to that particular, the, the the whole of the statement without agreeing to that one phrase. and they end up changing it? And they, yeah, he said they ended up changing it later, which is, think Pastor Wayne correcting all the world's theology. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. But, so, just so y'all know, uh, our official position at Frisco Bible would be that the miraculous gifts have ceased loosely, loosely holding to that. And I think it's just wise of Pastor Wayne to say it that way, because it's a non-essential and you don't want to put God in a box correct mm-hmm.
1: so thinking back to dispensationalism wow okay <laughs> um, didn't we bring that up last week
2: yes go ahead <laughs> it's a joke okay
1: I'm so paranoid about asking
2: no you don't ever be paranoid please
1: I've heard the term other times, but would a a cessationist, I I can't get it out, would they also agree with dispensationalism? Like it was a different way of working or governing Mm -hmm. the people at that time that...
2: It is. So let me just say that dispensationalism is a framework that could be here or here or here or here okay Okay? so you could be a dispensationalist and not be a cessationist you could be a dispensationalist that says cessationism is a proof of your dispensationalism it is (laughs) just so y'all know just really high level if you're not familiar with the dispensational theology dispensational theology says that god operated differently at different periods of time so they were they are called dispensations, um, and it was uh, created by a guy named John Darby in the 1800s. He discovered this reading kind the like Bible. He observed it. Yeah, he he discovered it in scripture.
1: Yeah, I just <laughs> I just want a little clarification. Traditional
2: and Reformed, can you kind of down that that's on note? Okay, sure. What, what, what. Sure. So this is the church before the Reformation. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Because, um, you know, we, we um, like a lot of Protestants, especially modern evangelicals, we think that the Bible dropped from heaven and landed on the ground, and Martin Luther picked it up. <laughs> Like you had the apostles, and then nothing happened. Like, and then the Catholic Church is selling indulgences and worshiping Mary, so we got to run from that. And then Martin Luther showed up. Like that's kind of how we think of the world. And we have like a long time between the apostles and the Reformation. In fact, frankly, a long time between the apostles and the errors of Roman Catholicism, because Ro- the Roman Church, the the beginning of the Roman Church was the Great Schism in ten fifty six or ten fifty four, between. All of, Christian, all of Christianity and the Roman church. Really, the first splintering was, here's Christianity and the Roman church goes like this. And then Protestantism was like, oh, we're going to go like this. So it's a, it's a schism of a schism. So you had, you had the church, like, and, and we're going to get to the second great controversy, which y'all are probably not familiar with at all, which is the filioque. Filio- okay. Which is the cause of the first schism was that the Nicene Creed says that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. And the Roman bishop inserted the phrase, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And Christianity lost its mind when he added that phrase.
1: That's the schism, the
2: original schism? The original schism was over that phrase, called the filioque. Okay. I
3: mean, I'm sure there's a whole lot more context to it than just the phrase.
2: Nope. It, I'm tra- tra- I, mean,
3: well, I mean A phrase isn't
1: going to cause a schism
2: It is, because it has, it, it has to do It has to do with your It has to do with your understanding of the Trinity
3: Okay, but what I'm, what I'm saying is What, what causes a schism sure. Okay, so, so But it, it had a bunch of different Like,
4: social Implications
2: that Yeah, no doubt, we're, we're going to talk about it We're going to do a whole study on the filioque but I'm just telling you, that, I mentioned there's two great historical controversies around the Holy Spirit. This is the one we're familiar with. That's the one that dominated church history for a long time. Long time. And the real, one of the real sources of that, just a little side for now, is that the um, Roman church didn't speak Greek. They spoke Latin. And all the church councils were in Greek. And they had to have a translator sitting there. So it made a big difference. Anyway,
4: wouldn't you say that you, you have to kind of treat the early church and mid, middle ages church and treat them just exactly what they are? Because there was, there was lots of error just starting early on, and you know the councils were addressing it sometimes, and sometimes you've got a poll sitter who's sitting up on the pole thinking he's getting close to God. Right. There's, you know, you can't just look and glorify the whole thing sure. and say everything's.
2: For sure. We want to be just like them. For sure, I agree with that 100. percent There's always error in every age. There's been error every age. Um, you know, the seven ecumenical councils. The thing about them was, you know, one of the things that's pretty crazy about the ancient church is that it had to have a you had to have a unanimous consent. So the church would get together and it had to be unanimous like you could like there's an old joke that in the ancient church a grandmother sitting somewhere in the middle of uh, wherever what was then called Eastern Asia could disagree with something and the church couldn't get it passed like the Holy Spirit had to work through the entire because they had five bishops none of which were more superior than another and they would come together over heresy and they would debate the heresies and like all the truths that we have today, we owe to the seven ecumenical councils. So, But you're absolutely right, you had people who are the ascetics, who would be the pole sitters, who would go off in the desert and believe the way to be a Christian was to sit on a pole. <laughs> for, you know, Some of these guys would sit on a pole for seven years, literally a pole, I mean that. Like it would be a, a pedestal smaller than this and they would live on it as a proof of their devotion to Christ. Definitely not what we're called to do. (laughs) Definitely not what we're called to do.
4: I I have a thought, so answer the question. So I'll premise it with, I'm thinking of the love chapter. Uh Faith, hope, love, the greatest of Jesus' love. If if you have this and this but don't have love, you have nothing, all that, right? And then when I think about like the miraculous gifts and all these gifts, right? Everything Jesus ever said, it all boiled down to love. Uh He wanted to get people to heaven, right? I mean, you know, people believe in them all that. Mm-hmm. Even when it comes, like say, healing. If you saw people healing, like the Jesus healing, the apostles healing, it was a form of love. And it was it was a form of evidence that this stuff is real. Mm-hmm. When it came to tongues back then, the way it is to me is that Jesus loved the people that couldn't understand the apostles so much that he made them speak their language so he could get the gospel the gospel across and love on them, mm-hmm. get them to believe and get them get them saved, right? Mm-hmm. With that in mind, what service does the speaking in tongues, the modern version, have toward that? Because you can't understand him, but what you're saying or anything. Well, what, what's it doing?
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, well, that, what so does... so the Pentecostals and the Charismatics would say that it edifies the believer in a big way. That the Holy Spirit is praying for you in a way you can't pray for yourself. And that you're connecting with God the Father and God the Son in a more intimate way in a deeper way and that there's a transformative as- aspect to that and that it, that it participates in the sanctification process
4: How, how's it edified though because like, like back then the edification was people mm-hmm. could understand mm-hmm. what they were saying
2: mm-hmm.
5: you're talking about like, a prayer language uh huh well it's praying the, in tongues
3: yeah the argument is basically that that prayer language is drawing you as the individual praying it closer to God correct it's not for other people like i i was not biblical right well,
2: we're going to we're going to go through it all yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I think the, their idea is that the um the, this is a, a, a prayer language used to draw me closer to god and they a lot of people that think that have that viewpoint they would not do that in public it mm-hmm. would be a very private thing for them correct mm-hmm. because they're not trying to they're not trying to show off. Correct. They're not trying to demonstrate that they're safe. Mm-hmm. They are doing that in private. And and that's where I'm kind of like easy to give that person the the grace that hey I don't do that, but okay. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with them that no, you don't do that. Right. It, because it's just not a, a fruitful argument.
2: Right. Well I agree. And and here's the other thing I would just say to you, Steve, because I understand your question. But I think that there's a lot of gifts of the Spirit that aren't designed for the non-believer. Because I'll just ask you, I've said this before, do you think that God is, his number one concern is that you intellectually assent to a truth statement one time in your life? Do you think that's his concern? I say something is true. So Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you think that God's overriding concern is that you believe that at one moment in your life, period, end of story? This is, I believe, it once. Okay, well, because then that means that this is a part of what He cares about—that you actually become transformed, right? Okay, well, if that's true, as we've talked about, what's the source of life? The Holy Spirit. We're a new life, right? We're a new creation. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is the empowering mechanism of this, right? Of us becoming like Christ. And by the way, I'm not trying to highlight Wesleyanism as being true. I'm just pointing to the word, right? This idea of us growing into Christ's likeness. So I'm not arguing that you're wrong about whether tongues is for today or not today. I'm just saying we don't want to necessarily say, well, since there's not a gospel use for tongues, we just cut it and discount it as it's not true, right? Because there may be another use for it, scripturally. And that would definitely be what these two guys would say, especially these guys, the charismatics. Charismatics would say, for sure there's a component to speaking in tongues that is about you growing in Christ-likeness. Okay. Yes, ma'am
5: just going to say, and we probably don't have time for it today, but, like, probably be a worthwhile process to look at the origin of Pentecost and, like, sort of, like, the Pentecostal movement Mm -hmm. and do, like, a pros and cons Mm -hmm. of, like, what good things came out of it, what are the, like, the, you know, the dark underbelly of it, like, that are Mm -hmm. actually harm people or Mm -hmm. whatever, and not to necessarily... I mean, I don't think we can ever, like you said, we can't in a big, broad statement say God definitely used it or didn't use it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's more nuanced than that Mm -hmm. because God is way more, you know, individual with people and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we're ever going to be able to say God caused that movement to start that day when they were praying. Mm -hmm. But did he maybe use it or did, just like joseph you know
4: mm-hmm.
5: somebody had a bad intention but god used it for good anyway mm-hmm. or they had maybe they wouldn't even have bad intentions they were just like off base
1: mm-hmm.
5: um, or maybe they were very sincere and they just mm-hmm. their human human imagination or whatever started to like Get
2: carried away. yeah no I love what you're saying there and what we're gonna do is I'm gonna go through and present what each of these does I'm actually gonna go from here 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 and then back to here and then um, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely critique them too I would I'm gonna say if I was a, a Wesleyan what would the reform person object to the Wesleyan's position etc does that make sense so y'all can get a really rounded view um, and uh, you know the next thing we're going to do we didn't have time today but I was going to just give us there's some key passages I just want us to go through there's just the, like this is a starting point this is like baseline here's, here's key passages that have to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we want to read but um huh? yeah
3: but this is, good. this is a good discussion,
2: right?
0: Yes. Scott, you know, what's yes. interesting as, um, this is in kind of in the context of a Western worldview. Like yep. British, American. Yep. If you were to go look in, in, in the continent of Africa or in Asia yep. and, and see their, you know, how Christianity transpired from the early beginnings of, of their faith to mm-hmm. whether it was 200
2: years after Christ or whatever to now. Yep. It'd be an interesting study. No question about it. And that's why that's why I say, like, we have to become a lot more familiar with church history. And we have to become more familiar with the global church. Because I said we can't put God in a box. You know, like, there's stuff that just makes us uncomfortable. Well, you know, like, um, and, and I'm, not, I'm not calling these people out, but there would be people in this camp that would tell you that things can't happen that we're hearing reports of happening right now you know like 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 uh you know in in iran uh where it's the most dangerous place in the world to be a christian there's thousands of people reporting jesus showing up in their living room like showing up because they can't get the scripture well how do you what does that do where where how do we figure that out is that, is that a miracle thing happening, you know? And like supposedly reciting scripture to them where they're writing it in the notebook and then somebody comes and gets the notebook and it's the book of John. And they just wrote it by hand. Well, the prophecy has ceased. I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking a side here. I'm just saying like we have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable nature of being in a relationship with a God who is way bigger than us. And I don't like that, by the way. I'm a super logical, make it fit in the box guy. That makes my skin start to do eeby-jeeby stuff. Like, what are we talking about? But I have to keep reminding myself, his ways are not my ways. Yeah. And I'm not going to make a decision based on comfort or liking or disliking. I have to ask, like, a question I ask myself all the time is, do I have the faith to follow where the truth leads me? If it's true, will I be willing to go there? Sometimes that's not a comfortable place to go. So, um, y'all keep me honest. I know that all of y'all have a little leaning somewhere in here. Um, I'm gonna try to take put my little hat on and be these guys. And uh, again, I'm not gonna be taking a side one way or the other during that. But I'm gonna try to be really fair because I think it's good for you to hear. This is what that says, and here's how they would defend it, and here's how they would what they would say the the reasoning is for thinking that.
5: I just wanted to say that I think it, it, another good goal is for us to, at the end of all of this, delving into all this, to have more love and kindness and understanding and um, a come from to people that might strike us as like maybe a little bit too extreme on some points. Amen. Um, to, to really be. Um,
1: vessels
2: of unity amen love it well because I, I i love what you're saying there babe and i know we're over time i'll just say this for one last thing and then we'll get out of here you know i don't know where everybody is in this room but our church culture would probably tend to be more up the table than down the table right but there's people who would come here and think we're weird because we aren't o- open to the Holy Spirit. that We don't allow the Holy Spirit to move here. And that's a little offensive, too. That's a, di- that's a disunity. Right? So I agree. Like, no matter what come from, we start with the ultimate goal. You know, we sang the hymn, The Church Is One Foundation Today. Um, by the way, if you want to write a letter to the church, you know, more hymns is always welcome. I, I welcome all those letters going to the church. Um, uh That's a side note. But, uh, you know, we are the body. We we must be one. And especially now in light of what Pastor Wayne's preaching on, you know, the attack on the church. We can't be divided over these non-essentials. So it's good for us to learn this stuff and come to what we believe God's saying is true. But it should be only to facilitate us being more Christ-like and being ministers of the gospel.
0: That's why you hold loosely to the things
2: that are not essential
1: Correct. The, uh, this morning I was writing out 1 Corinthians. It says, Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there may be no division mm-hmm. among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Amen. So how does that fit here? Yeah. Because there's a uh, division in my spirit. Yes. <laughs>
2: I understand. Mm-hmm. Well, let's be praying. Let's pray and Let's be praying through that. And let's be praying for each other. Let's pray for unity amongst ourselves. If you look at how small this room is. Surely we could be unified, right? <laughs> if we're unified, there's hope we could bring in a couple more and start adding them to the periphery.
5: Or under every roof, every roof that's represented. Surely one household can be completely in
2: unity, right? Right. <laughs> All right. God bless you guys. Thanks a lot for being here. I'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe. Catch up on past episodes and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.